Well, good morning. I'm Bill, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I'm actually the downtown campus pastor. It's really great to be with you this morning. I know, thank you for braving the soupy weather. It went from, like, frigid, death cold to, like, soupy and, like, fog. I felt like I was in a cloud all morning. Um, But I'm excited to be here because this week we are launching a new sermon series in the book of 2 Peter, and the title of this series is called Reminders. Now, this week we're going to be doing an intro message, and we'll be actually doing an overview of the whole book of 2 Peter, but in the following weeks, uh, we're going to go passage by passage through the book. So this week, overview, and then passage by passage, but to get us going today, I want to start with a little story to introduce the topic, okay? Well, several weeks ago, after getting some snow, uh, my wife came to me and she said, uh, we really need to get new tires for our van. Apparently, she doesn't think it's as much fun sliding around in the snow as I do, and uh, especially with kids in the car. And so I procrastinated a little bit, but I started checking prices and places to go. But in the meantime, there was a Saturday where I was doing some ministry stuff, and Erica was heading up to her parents in Oconto uh, just to visit them for a little bit. And uh, while she was there, her dad... Uh, noticed that the tires on our van were a little bit bald, okay? And her dad is the type of person who loves to fix things, right? You might have a dad like this in your life, like any time that there's something going on in his kid's life that he can like help a little bit, he helps a little bit, okay? And so Erica comes back from that weekend with two tires in the back of our van that he happened to have in the garage, I don't know how. And they, they actually were tires that fit our van, and they had good tread left on them. And so we were supposed to take those and get them uh, mounted on our van. Well, we bring them to the shop, and the shop basically is like, well, there's some problems with these tires. Uh, there's some rot on the inside. You're not going to be able to use them. Okay? So being the good husband that I am, I book an appointment right away for new tires But being the forgetful husband that I am, I never took the old tires out of the back of the van, right? So we get these new tires mounted and balanced and all that stuff, and we start to use the van, and I just cannot remember to take these tires out of the back of the van. But you know who does remember that the tires in the back of the van, right? Erica remembers. In fact, Erica goes to the grocery store, she gets a huge load of groceries, opens up the back of the van, and tires, right? Uh, We pick up some stuff from our friend's house, and we open the back of the van to put it in, and tires. Uh, We take a box to school and need to use the back part of the van, tires. Now, of course, if I would have just remembered to take them out uh, when we were actually home, the problem would have been solved. We would have gone back to using our van the way it was intended, but I kept forgetting, and so our van wasn't serving us the way we wanted it to. What's my point? Why am I telling you about tires? Well, a lot of the times, Christians live their lives the same exact way. In our hearts, in the back of our minds, we know that there are things that we need to know and remember to do in order to live the life that God has called us to live. In fact, there's all sorts of promises and provision in God's word that he's given us for us to live this life, but all too often we forget to remember those things. And even worse, we weigh ourselves down and we take up room within our hearts that is distracting us. 
and pulling us away from the life of faith that God is calling us to live. Well, 2 Peter was written to remind believers about their eternal hope, about the solid foundation of God's truth. It was written to warn believers about the dangers of getting weighed down with the wrong teaching and forgetting what this whole life is about, which is, which is following Jesus. And so in our overview today, we're going to look at three reasons from Second Peter as to why we all need reminders in our life. And these three, um, these three reasons are going to correspond with the chapters in Second Peter. There's three chapters, and so there's three reasons. But before we jump into that, let me share with you some actual reminders that we need as a church. See how I built that in there? I had some announcements to do, so I thought, I'll write it down here, and there'll be a reminder, and then I'll tell them, okay? And so here's a, here's a few reminders for you as a church. So uh, the first one is, in the lobby today, as you are coming in, you might have noticed that off to this side of the church, there's a bunch of tables out there, and there's, like, stuff all over these tables. Well, the ladies had this, like, uh, I think it was called Swap and Sweets event, where you could bring all of your stuff and then swap it and eat some sweets. And so um, there's no sweets left, unfortunately, but there is a lot of stuff left. And so if you have any need for men's clothes, women's clothes, kids' stuff, uh, housewares, that sort of thing, and you're looking uh, for those things, we would love just to be able to give you whatever is on those tables. So feel, fr- feel free after the service to go and look and take whatever you'd like. It's absolutely free. There's no cost. We'd love just to get it, for it to go to a good home. Um, also, coming up next weekend here at the downtown campus is the IF conference. It's a women's conference. It's on Friday and Saturday, and it's going to be a great uh, conference. I believe there's around 100 women already signed up or maybe even more for that conference, so we'd love to have you here for that. Um, you can check that out online to sign up for that, but it's coming up this coming weekend, and it's going to be at the downtown campus. The last thing is, in your bulletin, last reminder, in your bulletin, you will see information about a men's breakfast coming up. So if you're a man, and you'd like to connect with some other men and eat some breakfast and hear from Pastor Adam, we'd love for you to come to that. That's also at the downtown campus, so take a look at that in your bulletin. All right. So we're going to look at a few passages this morning, but before we really jump into the actual book of 2 Peter, I want to tell you a little bit about the author of the book of 2 Peter. I know this is going to be shocking, but his name is Peter, okay? And Peter is one of my favorite characters of the Bible. He is one of Jesus' closest disciples along with James and John. In fact, it's interesting because uh, Peter was fishing partners with James and John when his brother Andrew introduced him to Jesus. Uh, Peter is the one in scripture who walks on water with Jesus when no one else even dared to even get out of the boat. He tries to take a step on the water. When the disciples are asked by Jesus, who do people say that I am? Peter rightly declares that Jesus is the Messiah in the Son of God. Peter is actually on the mountain with James and John. Remember that? He's on the mountain with James and John when he sees the transfiguration. In other words, he's up there and Jesus is transformed and they begin to see his glory on earth. Peter saw that with his own two eyes. He actually mentions that in this book. Peter boldly tells Jesus that he would never betray him. In fact, he tells Jesus, I would die before I would betray you. And then he goes on to betray Jesus three times a few hours later. Peter meets and he talks and he eats with the risen Jesus, okay? So he was face-to-face after the resurrection with Jesus. 
Peter is the one who, on the day of Pentecost, when the disciples receive the Holy Spirit, he's the one who stands up before a crowd of thousands of people and he preaches the gospel message. And lots of people are saved on that day. That's Peter. And Peter has this huge and full story in Scripture. And perhaps one of the most interesting books about Second Peter is that Peter is writing these reminders to the church as he awaits his own execution. Peter is about to be crucified for his faith. And so many of you may have noticed the title of the sermon today is actually Parting Words. Parting Words. And it's interesting, I was listening to this podcast the other day, and they were talking about how there's a commonality between people on their deathbeds and what they say, okay, and what they ask about when they're dying. And so it was like this whole study about what's the, what, what are the things that people say over and over and over again, no matter who it is. And one of the things that people uh, actually do when they're dying, when they're actively dying, is they talk about wanting to get right with God. It's just a natural thing that we do. We start to think about eternity and you start to ask, am I right with God? Am am I right with God? And am I assured of my salvation? And it happens with people who are not even particularly religious. They, They just start asking those questions because you're thinking about what's coming next. But what we're gonna see from 2 Peter is that his parting words in this book are not that he needs assurance. You know, Peter's not awaiting his execution and being like, oh, I just, I just really need to know that Jesus is real. I just really need to know that he's, that he's God. I just really need... No. Peter already knows those things. In fact, this book is a huge confirmation that, that Peter has seen the risen Lord. It's a huge confirmation that he is already assured of his salvation. And what he's trying to do in this book is making sure that you and I are assured as well. And so instead of using his parting words to try to assure himself... He's assuring us. Let's dive into some of these reasons from, and reminders from Second uh, Peter. If you have a Bible, you can open it up into Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at one passage from each of the chapters to kind of do an overview. Uh, and, and the first one is this. We need reminders because distractions are common. So we're going to find in the first chapter. Look at Second Peter verse, or chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 15. Listen to what he says. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. Peter knows he's about to die. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. You see how he's assuring them? What's really interesting about chapter 1 is that it's clear that Peter is dealing with secure and mature believers. He's basically saying this. Listen, I I know. I know. I know you guys know these things, but I want to refresh your memory. And I want to make sure that when I'm gone, you continue to remember this hope that you have in Jesus. You see, Peter actually is looking forward and he knows that you and I have a tendency to get distracted even from the things we already know. He knows that it's common if we've given our lives over to Jesus that we sometimes can begin to wander. Distractions are common. 
You know, I actually see this in the church all the time. I just ran into this, uh, this lady who comes to Spring Lake, and because of a life event she had going on in her life, she had stopped coming to church for a while, and so I hadn't seen her for a while. And she came back, and I've seen her multiple times since then, but she's like, man, I just, I felt like God was drawing me back to church, because for a while, I just wasn't going. It wasn't that I had walked away from my faith, it's just that I felt like I was wandering, I was distracted. And, and now I've seen her several times since then. You know, the Lord drew her back, but for a while, she was wandering. Not denying her faith, she was just wandering. It's not just church attendance, though, in that we wander. We can wander in our passions. We can wander in what we think about and dwell on. We can wander from Christian fellowship. We can wander from reading the word and being devoted to God personally. We can wander from prayer. There's all sorts of distractions that come up in our lives that pull us away from God and his church. In fact, as I was working through this passage, something came to mind for me. You know, people often like to put pastors on a pedestal, and they're like, man, he has it all together. You know, he, he always, you know, when, when Bill, this is the picture in the mind, when Bill gets cut off in traffic, he just stops for a second and goes, Lord, thank you for that person. Lord, just thank you that they cut me off because I know you have something better for me today now. You know? No, I don't do that. I bite my tongue and I try not to swear in my head either, okay? That's what really happens, okay? And so we all struggle with things. And so I was thinking about something that distracts me, something that pulls me away from the, the life that I'm supposed to live with Christ. And I figured it out that it's really obvious in my life that it was my phone that I really struggle with pulling out my phone all the time to check the time, and then six hours later, I'm still on Facebook. Anyone? Anyone? Right? Not really six hours. I'm exaggerating for effect. But, you know, sometimes it feels like that. I get so dragged in and so pulled into it to the point where it distracts me from following God the way that I should, from fulfilling the relationships and the responsibilities that I have in my life. And it's something that I'm working to try to moderate. But can I share something with you? Distractions can be completely overwhelming, but one of the most powerful statements in the whole book of 2 Peter is found in chapter 1. And I want you to hear what Peter says here, because all of us are distracted at some point with something. And, and so listen to what Peter says. He says, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these things, he has given us a very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Peter is reminding us of something really important that you and I tend to forget. That in Jesus... That with Jesus, that in our life with Jesus, he has already given us everything we need in order to live the life he's called us to live. That's the promise that we have. If we know Jesus, we have everything we need. That through the promises we find in Jesus, we be, can begin to live like Jesus. The truth is, is that before, before you knew Christ, you were a slave to those evil desires. You couldn't choose something different. You always chose what it was that you were choosing besides God. But if we are in Christ, we're no longer slaves to our flesh. 
to apply it to me and my phone because of Jesus, I do not have to continue to follow my corrupt desires to look at it all the time, to be obsessed with it. I do not have to go on living like this thing in my pocket is more important than the people in front of me. I don't have to go on living like this thing in my pocket is more important than my kids or my wife or the things that God has called me to do. I don't have to. And just like that for you, if you have a distraction in your life, something that's causing you to wander or something that's pulling you away from God, you do not have to live that out. In fact, this is the promise from God's word. Listen to this. You have the spirit of the living God inside of you. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus, and that blood says that you don't have to give in to those desires. You are a child of God, one of God's very own. Indeed, God has given you everything you need for a godly life through your knowledge of him. So while distractions abound, don't forget that God has already given you all the tools you need to follow and love him. He has broken the chains of sin. You don't have to continue in them. So yes, there's going to be distractions, and yes, distractions are common, but that's a powerful reminder. Let's look at another reason we need reminders. We need reminders because deceivers are destructive. Let's look at chapter 2, a passage in there. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is what Peter says. He says, but there will also... There were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and the destruction, their destruction has not been sleeping. Chapter 2 of 2 Peter is all about false teachers who are going to introduce destructive heresies of false teaching inside the church. Did you notice the language that Peter uses in this passage? He's not telling the church what they should do in case there's a false teacher. He's looking forward into the church and he's thinking about it and he's realizing that this is inevitable. He says that there will be false teachers. This is a warning. But there were also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. Peter says, don't be deceived. Even among solid Bible-believing congregations, there will be people who will try to rise among you and seek to introduce teachings that are contrary to the word of God. Now, it's really easy for us to think, you know what, we got it all together. We know doctrine fairly well. We would know. We would know the instant somebody teaches something false. I would see it a mile away, but consider these characteristics of these false teachers. Listen to what Peter says. He says, they will secretly introduce destructive doctrines. There will be those who use the Bible, they will use the church, and they will use the message of the cross to gain trust, but something, a little aspect of their teaching will be off just a little bit. Have you ever bit into this perfectly good apple and found a worm inside? Anyone do that? Do you ever see a worm inside of your apple? Uh, I was reading this thing about uh, apples, and I don't even know why I was reading a thing about apples now. I was probably on my phone wasting time. And um, it's possible for you to look at a whole apple and look all around it, and there's no holes in it. It's perfect on the outside. 
and for you to bite into that apple and there's still a worm in. You know why? Because there's certain types of worms that actually lay their larvae on the blossoms of the apple tree. And so the larva sits there, and as the apple grows, the worm inside the apple grows. And and, and so now that you're not going to eat any apples ever again in your life, this is the same as false teachers. They give no indication from the outside that something's wrong. And they come from amongst us. They are in the church right now, and we probably know them. In fact, this is part of the reason why Spring Lake requires membership in order for people to teach and lead and serve in certain capacities. We say that if you're going to have influence over other believers in a teaching role, that you have to go through our membership process. Why? Is it because we want to exclude everyone? Is it because we want to be mean and we we don't care about people serving? No, it's because we want to make sure that the doctrines that you're teaching line up with the doctrines of God's word. And, And so we require a general leadership application to serve at Spring Lake Church. It's not just a hoop for you to jump through. It's actually something that's put into place in order that we know that what you're going to teach is going to line up with God's word. We want to make sure people in our church are solid in doctrine if they are to teach. Why? Because false teachers give no indication from the outside that something's wrong. And they begin from inside the church. The second characteristic is that they will deny the sovereignty of the Lord. What does that mean? They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. It means you can spot, spot a false teacher by this. License. You can spot a false teacher by this. Not their license plate number, but you can spot a false teacher by looking in to the teaching that they're teaching and they begin to look at it and they, you begin to see that it contradicts scripture and it begins to license sin. So how can you spot a false teacher? You look into their teachings and if they're beginning to give you freedom where God gives us no freedom... That's going to be false teaching. It's teaching that denies the Lord's authority and the Lordship over your life. And and you see why this happens. You see that in our society, we hate the idea of somebody telling us that we're not allowed to do what we want to do. You know, in our, and especially in America, we value freedom and autonomy so much so that we will give up everything for it. So Jesus as our great savior is a great concept. We love Jesus as Savior. That's amazing. We love that Jesus saves us, right? But Jesus as Lord is a little bit harder to swallow. Our natural edge, our natural bent as followers of Jesus, and even not as followers of Jesus, is nobody should tell me how to live my life. You don't know me. Let me live my life the way I want to live my life. You can't tell me, and if you try to tell me, you're judging me. False teachers teach in such a way as they begin to license or open up that which seems restrictive in Scripture. And you know what this sounds like, right? You know what this sounds like? It sounds like this. Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? Is that what Satan said in Genesis? Remember what God had told them? God had said, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan comes along and he looks at Eve and he said, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so Satan 
starts to twist God's words. And, and so listen to what it sounds like in our culture right now. You're going to recognize these things. You're going to recognize these things. Did God really say that physical intimacy outside of marriage is a sin? Did God really say that? Did God really say that looking at pornography was necessarily bad? Did God really say that? Did God say that I really have to lay down my life in service to others in this world, that I can't only be about myself, that I should serve my family, that I should serve my church, that my life shouldn't be about me? Did God really say that? Did God really say that humans are knit together in their mother's womb and all life is worthy of life because they are created in his image? Did God really say that? Did God really say that I should, not my church alone, but me personally, that I should care for the poor and the orphaned and the widow? Did God say that? Did God really say that marriage is distinctly between one man and one woman? Listen, there is a great divide in our culture between our values as Christ followers based on God's word and the world in which we live. Our values are going to be different and even offensive to the world that we live in. We are already coming under fire for our culture over what we believe. If you haven't been paying attention, open your eyes. They want, to, they want to basically crucify the vice president's wife because she wants to teach at a Christian school. That's targeted at us because they believe in traditional marriage. So what false teachers do is they come along and they try to capitalize on our desires to want to be accepted by our culture. But the truth is, and you've got to get this in your heart, that we are aliens in this world. We are outcasts. Unless you think you can get on your high horse and say, you're right, Pastor Bill, we're all right and they're all wrong. That is not what I'm saying. It is not about us being right or self-righteous. It's not that our morality is so perfect that we're better than everyone else. It's about us following the truth and remembering that Jesus is Lord and King of this universe. It's not just my values, it's his values. It's his word. That We have to remember that Jesus is king of our hearts, that he's Lord of our lives. It's about us submitting to him. That's a good reminder from 2 Peter. We need that in our culture right now. Let's take a look at one last reminder. We all need reminders because time is short. Look at uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is what Peter says. He says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through the apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desire. They will say, where is the coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You see, Peter is reminding us that the time is short, meaning Jesus will return his promise and the world will be judged. That's what chapter 3 is about. 
Time is short that Jesus is coming back and the world is going to be judged. Sure, there's all sorts of people who scoff at Christianity and they say, look, Jesus hasn't returned yet. You think he's going to now? It's been over 2,000 years. Who are you waiting for? Right? They, they say something like this. No, that's not how it is. The world is just matter. There's nothing else. It has existed from ages past and it will go on to the future forever. You, you think there's this invisible God in the sky? That's silly. It's the same argument that the people were making in the first century to Peter is the same argument that people are making today. It didn't change. Peter says that one of the characteristics of the end drawing near is that people will increasingly mock the idea that God will come and judge this world. If they are atheist or they're agnostic in our society, they will say that this life is all there is and there is no God, therefore there cannot be a judgment, and they aren't accountable for anything in their life, and the end result of that thinking is that life is meaningless, and so have fun. That's what our culture says. Or, if they're religious or spiritual, they'll say, oh, no, don't worry, God, God's not going to come and judge you. We don't we don't talk about the judgment of God anymore. That's not, that's not in vogue, you know? Like, don't, don't you know that our God is just a God of love? We live in the era of grace only. Everyone eventually gets to heaven. God won't judge you. You'll be fine. Either way, the judgment of God is going to be rejected. And the reason why is because people are immersed in their own sensuality and following the desires of their flesh, and they don't want to be held accountable. Listen, the reminder here from us, for, from Peter, is that judgment is coming, and that we shouldn't mistake the time it's taking to get here as a sign that God forgot his promise to return and to judge. In fact, the reason Christ hasn't returned to judge the living and the dead is because of God. Because of his great grace and mercy. Listen to, what, listen to what Peter says in 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9 in chapter 3. He says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. The Lord, is re- isn't, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed but he wants everyone to repent. The amazing truth for you right now and for your friends and your family and the people in your life that you deeply care about is that God has not yet come to judge and to destroy evil forever because he wants to give this world a chance to repent. This is God's love and his mercy. It's not that God won't come and judge us. He must, for he is righteous and sin cannot go unpunished. It's that he's being patient with us. And so let me encourage you with some solid truths from God's word this morning. The Lord will return. There will be judgment for all of our acts, good and bad. There is only one way to be ready for that return. And it's not about us. And it's not about what we can do. There's nothing you can do to make yourself righteous and holy enough to stand before a righteous and just God. The only way to be ready is through Jesus. This is the only way. You know, Jesus, he came and he lived the perfect life that we could not live. He died the death on a cross that we deserve, taking on the wrath of God for us. He was resurrected to a new life, proving that his sacrifice was complete and total for all eternity. Our only path, our only way forward, 
is through Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Romans 10, 13. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved, Acts 4, 12. Church, don't forget. Don't ignore the fact that Jesus is coming. And when he does, there will be a judgment. Don't forget to remember that the time is short. It matters how you live this life. In fact, Peter talks about this, and we'll get to it in the future weeks, but he talks about how it matters how you live because Jesus is coming back. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved. Well, I invite you to bow your heads for a moment as we close. If you're here today and you're listening and you're like thinking, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for the judgment. I'm not ready to face God today. If I were to stand before God today, I know that I would be found wanting. But I want Jesus. But I want to be saved. But I want to know him as Lord and Savior. If that's you and you want to take that step to put your faith and your trust in him, I just ask that you would just raise your hand for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to pray for those of you who raise your hand. Pray something like this in your heart. Lord Jesus, I recognize as a human being that I'm sinful, that I've done things and I've said things and I've thought things that are contrary to you, that without you, I cannot stand before you. Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, but I also want you to be Lord. I give you my life. Not just today, not just a moment in time that I can look back on, but forevermore, I am yours. Lord, I give you myself right now, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your heads bowed. Some of you are here this morning, and you're like me. You're like me and my phone. You've gotten distracted with something. Something has crept into your life that's distracting you from following God all the way. Something's pulling you away. And if you're here this morning and that's you and you know that you need to get back on track, I just would ask that you would just raise your hand for a moment so I can pray for you. Thank you. There's hands up all over the room. Lord, I can come to you right now on behalf of all of us who raise our hand and those of us who have something but we didn't raise our hand. I can come to you because I have distractions and I'm in need of you every moment. Lord, I I pray that we would all right now in our hearts lay those distractions at your feet. Give them up to you. Lord, we recognize that you are not just Savior, but you are Lord, that you are King, that you are sovereign over our lives, that you get to tell us how to live. Not as restriction, but as freedom to choose you. Freedom to love you. Lord, I pray that we would walk from this place and we would trust you with these distractions. We'd give them up for the sake of following you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.